all of a sudden I wasn't writing academic anymore and I was telling my story and I was putting my anxiety out there and all of the the emotional issues that I'd gone through as a woman and a little bit about my childhood and I'm hitting publish and I'm blogging every week and people are opting into my blog to follow it and some of them are my students and I'm thinking oh this is weird Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. This episode is an interview with Dr. Kelly Saganak, and she is actually in the counseling department and has been teaching for, I believe, around the last 20 years. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying that with memory. Um, so that's not written down anywhere, but she's been teaching a while. And what I love about our conversation is you know, we really get into some of the nitty gritty of current trends in the academy and what's making her, you know, kind of realize that maybe she doesn't want to stay with her institution, um, you know, until she retires or that she might retire early and that she's really thinking about that exit happening sooner rather than later. And so some of the stresses and um, issues that are coming up at her particular institution is something we dive deep into. And so she has been a life coach, actually, and has gotten a certification as a life coach. And so she because she works in the council department. It's a really great fit. And so she's, you know, teaching, you know, America's next school counselors, uh, college counselors. And she was realizing um, a lot of the psychological problems, actually, that are happening on campuses uh, for tenured professors. So she actually works with stressed out, overwhelmed, anxious, tenure track moms who really want to start thriving in their institution. And so she's really trying to actually transform this oppressive, oppressive institution. And she's realizing that she could do more work outside of it. So it's such a lovely conversation. I was just um, loving where we went with the conversation. And it was really making me realize um, how powerful this podcast is and how there are a lot of academics that are in the ivory tower, so to speak, right now at this moment, figuring out how they can change it. Um, and, you know, like for me, I thought I was going to change it from the inside. And I'm realizing that there's actually more to work to be done that can happen quicker uh, on the outside. And I think Kelly would agree with me on that. So let, I, I, you know, I'm not going to hesitate anymore. I want to get right to this interview because it is definitely a good one. All right. My guest today is Kelly Saganak. Uh, and we're so excited to connect because she is coming through, uh, man, a close business friend of mine. And so anyone who's close with this person, I'm just like, we're obviously going to be t close because Kelly is awesome. Um, Ke both Kellys are awesome. So I'm Kelly on here. And our connection is Kelly Ruda, um, who we both love. So welcome so much, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me on Academics business. Oh, I'm so honored and delighted to be here, Lindsay. This is a real treat. Thank you. Yay. Well, I'm excited to hear your story. Uh, that's what we do in Academics Mean Business. <laughs> we try not to feel alone in this process. Um, so Kelly, if you could kind of, you know, give us the brief history of Kelly's academic life and career, what you studied, what you were passionate about, and anything you want to share um, that's related to that journey. Oh, 
brief. Okay. So, <laughs> right. The CV line version, not the cover letter version. No. Yeah. You know, I totally fell into it. I wasn't one of those people that woke up or was in high school and thought, I'm going to be a professor. Never. Never mm-hmm. even dawned yeah. on me to do that. Even though looking back, it's really kind of funny because I was voted most intellectual my senior year. Oh, that's a cool thing to be voted. But yeah. Still, I like it. Still never made that connection. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to college. I just knew I was going to college. Changed my major a couple times. And it was when I first took Psych 101 that I started to think, okay, this is something I could be interested in and not skip class. You know, one of those things. So I went on and um, got a bachelor's in psychology. And it was during that time that I knew I wanted to be a counselor and work with families. And because as I got into psychology, I began to reflect on my own childhood and some of the obstacles and hurdles and difficulties. And I thought, you know, I want to help people not go through what I did. So I was I went right from undergrad right into a counseling program and got my master's in that and um, worked in the field a little bit, but not for very long because I knew I wanted to help in a bigger way. So that took me to Idaho State University where I got my doctorate in counselor education and supervision. Oh, cool. So it was, I think I've always had that personality that I always wanted to do it bigger. Mm, Interesting. I could never just be settled with, why don't you just be a school counselor in an elementary school and just be a counselor? Why do you always have to up the ante, you know? (laughs) So that took me there. And then um, I ended up where I still am today at, and that was 21 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. And that's where I am um, in the counselor education department professional counseling and um, work with school counselors, clinical counselors, and student affairs and college counselors. Had been doing that for a very long time, raised three kids, still have two teenagers at home, and just wanted more. The ante needed to be on the table again, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right? Um, I've never been very um, good at being content. So the fact that I've even done this for 20 some years is somewhat of a miracle. That's a long time, yeah. Right? Um, So did the tenure track. You know, I've gone through post-tenure, done all of that, um, published, co-authored a few textbooks, you know, done the the whole boogie, but just started to feel kind of flat about the whole thing. But I love to write, but it was when I did the first, the last edition of um, our third edition, I was so burned out on writing academically. And I said to my daughter, who was in college at the time, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. If I have to do another APA citation, I'm going to puke. And it doesn't bother me at all that people hear that because (laughs) I just couldn't do it anymore. And then we had we had gotten word from the publisher that you couldn't use direct quotes anymore and that you had to write everybody and get permission. And I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't fun. It's Mm -mm. sucking the life out of me. But I want to write. So my daughter said to me, she says, why don't you start a blog? Hmm. And that was the beginning of the business that I now have. 
So I started blogging and I just took it from there. And that evolved into becoming a life coach. And that's where we met our friend Kelly Ruda. And I'm coaching today. And I mainly coach um, women I have for the past two years that struggle a lot with anxiety because that's quite a thread in my journey, generalized anxiety. And you, I can sure you can only imagine how that manifested in academia. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's rampant in academia. I feel like most people aren't deal, dealing with it, right? You're exactly right. And so that led me, I've been um, coaching women, professional women with anxiety for the past couple of years, but then was nudged to take my, as you know, get the audience more narrow, you know, for marketing reasons. So I started doing a little bit of research and discovered exactly what you said, Lindsay, how rampant anxiety is, especially for academic moms. Oh, yes, yes on the tenure track. And so that is my focus and has been my focus and trying to support them and help them achieve tenure and do it with empowered ease Mm -hmm. while also raising a thriving family. I love that. It's not easy. It's not. And I also sit on our college's personnel committee and I see what happens to people on the tenure track. And for me, it's just heartbreaking. There's a lot writing on it. I mean, it's some, it's one of those professions, I think, that there's a lot of time invested. And um, there's kind of you make it or you break it. And the making is the tenure, right? And if you don't, like, then what? Like, um, yeah, that's, yeah. So that the anxiety tied to that is huge. The, um, the pressure to perform, um, to take care of our students, to take care of our family, which falls on women. I wrote a little bit about in my, in my doctorate work, I studied emotions and teaching. Uh, and so, yeah, I did a little research on, um, you know, part of my lit review was on, um, like the emotional work and emotional labor that women are expected to do. Um, and so, yeah, and teaching, like being the teacher that cares or is worried about like how um, things are going down in the department versus some of our male counterparts who aren't necessarily thinking about those things and then layer that on with having a family. And uh, we tend to keep that emotional labor and work going as well at home. So um, I can totally relate. I don't have a family myself and didn't go through, um, you know, research based tenure granting because I was at a community college. But, um, you know, and I made that choice kind of for some of those reasons. I was like, I don't know that I operate well under that kind of pressure or that I, I want to play the game is how I always called it. Like when I was going through my dissertation, it was like a game. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I might want to opt out of that part of it because I love teaching. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's, you know, you're supposed to do it all literally or that's the message that's (laughs) sent out there Mm -hmm. is do it all and so you know make everybody in class happy make everybody in the department happy you know do all the service work on campus and and there and I'm not sure the public really realizes unless they're in education because I feel similarly to k-12 yeah 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 A teacher, a professor, um, an academic, a faculty member, your job is never done with the eight to five walk out the door. Yeah. Yep. And we knew that. We knew that. Right. Like I kind of I kind of knew consciously I was signing up for that. Um, 
but trying to figure out in what ways can I put boundaries to make that happen. But I realized I cared a lot about my students. Right. And so it was just the, right. the, the, the notion that it was uh, one or the other, give or take like zero sum games, something is winning and something is losing. And like, yeah, for teaching, it's like, you know, for those of you who aren't um, in, in teaching roles, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very, um, you bring the work home because you care about where these people are headed. Uh, they, you know, they trust you and they need help and guidance. And so you want to offer that, but there is no, like at the end of the day, uh, the, you know, bell rings that it's over. It's like, no, you are they're in your inbox there, you know, there's grading happening. There's lesson planning. There's all of that. Yeah. 20 page papers and I'm prepping constantly, even though I've been doing this for so long, because I teach in a counseling field, I have to stay up on what's current. Yeah. You know, you know, I can't teach the same two plus two equals four. It's constant prepping constantly and also shifting what I do in the classroom to meet the needs of today's learners. Yes, which is huge, which is so huge (laughs) and moving so quickly. Like (laughs) I always felt yeah, teaching online, you know, I'd present and do things a little bit differently. And I'd have some faculty members be like, why would you do that? And I'm like, I'm telling you, it saves time. But the students love it. Also, they were always skeptical of the things that students loved. <laughs> like, oh, they probably aren't learning as good if they're loving. And I'm like, well, I don't know that that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I think staying up with that is tough. Very tough. I did a few. I took a few risks this past couple of years and got rid of these huge, massive papers good. in my class and opted for doing case reporting right inside the class classroom and and assessing them in the moment boom yeah and people stare at me yeah you know like well how do you know they're going to learn doing that Mm. you know and I'm like well how do you know they learn from sitting behind a screen writing a 20 page paper and sometimes they're paying people to pay to write it (laughs) like we could talk about how like yeah (laughs) yeah they're already in front of a screen all day so this puts them in an active interactive and engaged manner and they're meeting the same curriculum standards so I think that's part of it with women in academia and then to be tacked into that tenure track process that's so ambiguous it really is yeah subjective it's so all ambiguous that, yeah, all and when it. is enough enough mm-hmm. um and what they go through in their departments as um moms parents trying to balance all that work and god forbid you ever tell anybody you're anxious mm. on campus <laughs> Yeah. So like something that came up, I just wrote this down. When is enough enough? I, you know, this is a theme that I'm noticing the more interviews I had. I I talked about this a little bit yesterday. There's something that, and I wonder if it's yeah, personality as a psychologist, you can maybe tap into this a little bit more, but there's something about the type of people who become professors um, and then who are so giving to the institution. We literally like give everything we can to the institution and our students, right? Maybe students first and then institution. Um, And that idea that um, there isn't... (laughs) This is the interview yesterday. It was so those of you, you know, listening will be it'll be the interview that comes before this. But, you know, the language around uh, your job description and saying the last line that says uh, and other duties as needed or whatever. And you're like, what job description says and anything else we feel like making you. But don't worry, we're not going to give you a one percent pay increase like (laughs) like you have to beg us for that for an entire year. And usually it doesn't happen. Anyways, I just think it's, it's something about. Uh, I don't know what it is like the way we've set up graduate work 
in, in particular, I think like the process of getting the PhD and then going to the institution and, um, and, uh, you know, trying to get the job. And that's what Dave was talking about. It was like that, that piece that says, what are you doing to meet that criteria for the interview? Um, so if you're an adjunct, you're giving all this extra time, um, to show that you do extracurricular activities and you're not getting paid for it. Right. So, and then you get, and you finally get that job and then you're still expected to do those extra things. And some of it's included in your salary, but like most people do more. And the question of when is enough enough, then it's, you know, from the admin, it's like, well, why would you guys have it? So, right. It's always like, you guys have it better than us. Cause you don't have to be here in the summer is like typically what we get as the answer to that. But then it's like, it's like, you know, um, this is part of your growth as your, as your, as, as like, of course you should be kept up with current research. Of course that's part of your job. And it's like, yeah, of course, in course, but add all the other stuff you've been piling on around reporting and data collection and like curriculum design and all this other stuff that the institution needs, you know, at, at one point, when is enough enough? When does a professor or somebody who works in academia like have given enough to the institution and and like and is getting paid fairly for that? That's where it's like there's such a disconnect. It is. It really is. And like, for example, I'm in the College of Education. Mm -hmm. <laughs> college of Education doesn't have the same salary nope. as the college. And that's of a, an important part, too. Yep. Yep. And the public doesn't realize that. There are, there are professors, and God love them, in the College of Business that make three times more than yep. I do. Yep. They get paid on their search committees. They get paid to publish. They get paid, I want to be nice on your podcast, they get paid for doing just about anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where other colleges don't. We just keep piling it on, more committees, more publications, more assessments, more other duties as assigned in that fine print yes. line. And our salaries never change. No. Yeah. And in fact, in our state, we've, we've gone down. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've gone down. And so I don't think the general public realizes that either. Yeah. I, that's a good even point. People will say, Oh, it must be nice to have January off mm -hmm. cause we're on an interim. Sure. And they'll say, did you have a nice break? <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I'm teaching four preps. I have a new class, a new, a whole new thing. I'm head of the, you know, online teaching all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Totally break. <laughs> For sure. You know, and like, yeah. Oh, it must be nice to have summers off. Well, I don't have summers <laughs> off. I teach during the summer. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just such an interesting phenomenon to continue to teach the public mm. what we do, because I don't think people really still know what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're probably relating it to their own college experience, which, you know, what, who knows what it was like or, or, um, well, what you they were only saw the professor in the classroom, yeah, which then, is interesting, right? Yep. The traditional college experience, right? You only saw the professor in the classroom. And if you didn't see the professor in the classroom, you saw the teaching assistant. So the professor was never there. There. So the assumption was they have a chill. Well, they don't work. <laughs> chill. <laughs> now, I chill. it's a pretty as much. I mean, that's why I chose this job for many of the reasons that you've outlined. Maybe it was a miss, you know, not understanding. But no. But I there's autonomy tied to the work that needs to be completed. So as yes. now as an entrepreneur, I think it's the same thing I'm feeling with as a you know now I'm an entrepreneur and I'm not 
not teaching at the moment and I'm not tied to an institution. And yes, I have all this free time, <laughs> but I'm like, oh, shit, I think I might be working harder now than I was when I was teaching for various reasons, because then it's when is enough enough in my business when it, and, and, and this is very related, uh, you know, to growing up as you know, a female in this society or a female presenting and all of that. So that all being said, um, I think, yeah, you bring up a good point. Like, um, I think I don't know that people realize yet. Yes, we get paid by the state, but all the colleges operate their own, their own, um, uh, budgets, right? So they decide where the money goes within their institution. People might not realize that. As a community college, we're a little more, we're subsidized more by the state. So we tend to have standards in different places than some of, you know, the, um, you know, four year or university level or state level. So yeah, they're all operating differently, but most of the schools have like autonomy around where the budget goes. And so these decisions are made, um, you know, on a, on a daily basis on, um, uh, for how, faculty get paid depending on different departments, the resource division of like who gets access to resources, who gets new hires. I mean, that, I mean, it is down to like, we're competing around all those resources. And so yes, valued knowledges or, or whatever, knowledges that are held up of higher value, um, you know, tend to get that stuff. What brings in the money for the college? Also, we see that with football and sports, which is a whole other rabbit hole we could get down. But I'm glad that you brought that up because I I, um, I feel that too. So I have an EDD, right? And I got an EDD through an, you know, an education department and I was always obsessed with education. Um, and uh, my master's is in sociology, um, but my husband was in physics. So we were always comparing who's getting the new buildings, who's, you know, who's getting whatever they need, new computers and all this stuff. Um, um, and yeah, STEM is the hot language right now around colleges. I'm looking at San Diego City College from my office right now. And they he was saying he walked around and there's a really cool new like science building. So um, and we were leaving both our institutions. Well, actually, our <laughs> this is great at, at my school that I left. Um, the admin building got a lot of the bond funding and they got high tech admin oh. stuff with this amazing boardroom. And we're sitting here in these like. Uh, a no joke. I had a classroom that had a ceiling tile missing and we're just like, there is something so oh, wrong oh, with that's this. So common yeah, in my ba- I'm in the basement. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually in a basement. that yeah. floods. <laughs> oh God. Yes. So, Oh, it's hysterical. It's, it's so hysterical. And I looked at my husband one day and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I love being home, but I want to serve people. I want to serve people and this is such a win for me because I can help women in academia. So I believe my tagline for my business is I believe I can transform, transforming education one tenure track mom at a time. So good. That's great. Because I do want to serve education and be in education, but the system, I've just kind of had yeah, enough of it's it. It's beating people down. It's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, yep. I, I mean, when I listened to your initial um, story in your very first podcast, Lindsay, I had tears in my eyes because you hit home with so many of the experiences that I've had and my colleagues have had and that I've seen um, women have and men around the nation that are my friends. And I just think, wow, 
Like, what are we, what, wow. like, light are we putting out? Or, you know, that it, what is it, you know, like, how are we, how is that closing in feeling that's happening to these folks, like, just diminishing so much, like, power and knowledge and intelligence and, and all that stuff? And, and because that, I think that fire that is why we did this work or got into this field, um, you know, that I, I, you know, was, I'm still grateful that like, I was, you know, like, you know, I, I do feel honored that I was able to like teach these like human beings. Like, I mean, ah, they like, even it gets me every time. Like, that's the thing that keeps us going. And so why would we put out that, um, you know, this part of our workforce, um, who, who is moving and, and, and I, you know, this trickles, I mean, this totally goes through K through 12 and anyone who is in any sort of caregiving, you know, place. And, you know, and this is something we have to figure out, I think, as a society when it comes to like labor and economics and all of that. So that's a, that's a, maybe we could do a, a whole episode on that. Absolutely. Cause I, I, I absolutely dig my students. Yep. That's like not, yeah. Yep. Non-negotiable. That's me going back, Mm -hmm. you know, as I transition into something new and, and amazing. Um, but I, I do, I, I show up for them. So I'd like to hear, let's talk a little bit about, so, you know, you touched on it briefly. So I do want to dig into, um, you know, why you felt like you had to up the ante. So you've, you, you know, we, we left there. There was, there's definitely some issues in the institution. It was making you feel like I could, I need to be bigger than this. Um, so your daughter brings up blogging. What next? Like what was going on in your mind as you're like, I could do this. So, so we know you, you know, most of the academics I'm interviewing are high achieving and they're going to accomplish things. So, but I just want to hear maybe the shadow side of that. What was the, where was the doubt coming from? And like, if we could tap into that a bit. Oh, I remember when I was sitting in this spot in um, spring of 2015, and I heard I hit publish on my blog for the very first time. Now, of course, I was an egomaniac because <laughs> nobody's going to see it when I hit publish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, all of a sudden I wasn't writing academic anymore and I was telling my story and I was putting my anxiety out there and all of the the emotional issues that I'd gone through as a woman and a little bit about my childhood and I'm hitting publish and I'm blogging every week and people are opting into my blog to follow it. And some of them are my students. And I'm thinking, oh, this is weird. This is so weird. I, I was, that's a little bit shadow. If you want to talk about shadow, that scared the living daylights out of me because I, I felt for a, quite a while which led me to getting some assistance through coaching. I felt like a fraud. I felt kind of like I was deceiving or I can't, I'm not finding the right word. Somehow pulling something off of campus, Uh you know, like my, I'm an academic, but now I'm blogging and she's, you know what, she's telling this story, but in the classroom, she's like this professor. So I felt almost like I had two personalities going on or living two lives. And I remember I would talk to my husband about it. And he said, well, you don't need to let anybody on campus know you're blogging. Uh, uh So there was a shadow side. And I was really very quiet about it. But then the more people that started following my blog, and then they would comment. And I thought, yeah, but I'm reaching people. Somebody's really getting something from this. 
And over time, I just got braver. I just, I kept getting braver. And now I tell people on campus, I'm a certified life coach. It doesn't even bother me. And they all know I have a business. Uh Uh-huh. So it's been a journey of just finding that, well, I can do anything I want to do. You know, I still have great teaching evals. I show up on campus. I serve. I'm chair in the provost search committee. Of course you are. I mean, I still, (laughs) I know, right? I still do my job. Um, but I'm very proud of what I've got going on the side here, my side hustle that is growing and I'm so proud of it. And I have actually said to our, um, interim Dean, I said, you know, I've got one foot out the door. Yeah. And I thought to myself, what did you just say? Mm -hmm. But it's so, so gratifying to be able to say that I'm here right now and I'm always going to do the best I can. But I'm heading on another path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't an easy journey. That was very, very scary. Yeah. So frightening. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And I really had to overcome my fear of what other people thought, what other people would think or do, or even any of the consequences that I might face mm-hmm. because I had something going on on the side. And I just, I had to work to become really okay with who I am on the inside. And I think going through that process is why I'm able to help women so much is because that's what you have to do to make it in academia. You have to step into your own power and be okay with your research agenda and be okay with how you show up in class. And you have to become your own person. Yeah. So it's it was funny. I did not expect that outcome. Mm. So did you, when you started telling people, um, how were some reactions? Um, did, was anyone in your life, maybe even family or whatever, kind of doubtful of what you were up to? Or did they at any point in the journey question? Or were they kind of just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> they were kind of, oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a similar experience. So, yeah. So far, I haven't gotten any negative reactions. I've got a couple of wide-eyed looks. But I haven't gotten anything negative um, that I, I think I made all that up in my mind somehow. But I haven't had anybody come back and say, well, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. I haven't had that at all. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think it's just that culture of the ivory tower that why would you not want to always be doing this? Why would you want to go do that mm-hmm. when this is so great? And it is great. It is great. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted more. I wanted different. Different. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope that answered your question. No, it totally does. And I, I feel like it has me thinking about like other angles of that. Like, um, and, and it's I think it's related to the the culture of academia, I, I guess, too. It's kind of like everyone's like you're either smart enough and you can hang, right? So so that's where I think we kind of spoke about it to, a little bit to it. Like is, is the, like if I'm tying all of this together, it's like the anxiety is imposed upon us. We impose it upon ourselves because, you know, um, I feel like being an academic is like you're constantly proving yourself to these outside gatekeepers. Sometimes they're professors in grad school. They're, then they're the, the committee and then they're journals and then they're the admin and then they're, you know, it's everybody. There's, there's constant... Um, proving ourselves to people. So then like, cause I, cause I obviously relate to this and that, um, you know, it was all in my head too, that I thought the faculty would hate me, uh, hate me. I, that's very strong. I didn't think that, but I thought they would like be like, why would you do like, 
good luck. <laughs> like, you know, and, and like, and I had this vision of doing that. And then I watched my husband go and do, it was funny. Like he, he told his faculty before I told my faculty and I was like, you know, this is writing on my business that I started and you're just out there just like, Hey guys, I'm out. And I'm like, yeah, well, you better hope I'm coming. Cause I haven't told anybody yet. <laughs> um, no, but like, you know, he's like that, right. He's just like that confidence and like that, you know, I know what I'm doing and, and obviously I'm going to do it. Um, so he did it and he was just like, Oh, everyone's cool. Everyone also was like, Oh my gosh, like take me with you. You know, that's what we started getting. And I was like, Oh, like, yeah. And so I think it's this, yeah, the, the self policing that we're doing on like how we're doing our job. Um, and, um, and, uh, well, proving I think ourselves. that yeah. comes from, I think that, that, you hit on something that sparked something for me that mm-hmm. was part of my anxiety and my fear. I remember when I first was an assistant professor and I had the task of having to take my dissertation and roll it into my first manuscript. Mm, okay. Right? So you take a hundred and some page whatever dissertation and it has to come down to what an 18 to 21 page you know, manuscript for an article. And, you know, and that's just gut-wrenching. Yeah. And I remember when I sent it off, the reviewers. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm already a pretty anxious person anyway, grew up that way. Um, and I my review comments come back on a continuum of, great, just a few tweaks. It's ready to go to, you know, maybe something in the middle to this one on the far left that just shredded it. I mean, didn't do anything constructive, just totally ripped me a new one. Mm -hmm. What was I supposed to do with that? And from that point on, I thought this isn't a safe place. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. This is not a safe place, meaning... Um, the whole enchilada, the oh, whole, yeah. the whole, um, the whole process, the not necessarily my institution, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I thought this isn't safe because I would never do that to a, per- mm, a student's paper. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. So incongruent. Mm-hmm. And I remember taking it to my chair and, and, um, you know, working through it. And she said, oh, you can't worry yeah, about that. Yeah, it is what you it is. To- like, yeah, it's like one person. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but for a new assistant mm-hmm. professor, and I also had um, an, an elementary, my daughter was in elementary school right then, um, then, and I had one in diapers, and I was about to be pregnant with the next one. I might have been pregnant. No support no. at all. Just revise it and send it in again. Just revise it and send it in again. You know, and then just keep going and keep going. Not good enough. Not good enough. <laughs> keep doing it. Right? Yeah. When is enough enough? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That review process I found was pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. And so then I was always like this when I had to reset, when I'd have to submit, you know, and I see that now still. Well, I've got one in progress. It's out for review. I don't know how it's going to come back. And... And other academic women, you know, I need, I heard from a woman a few weeks ago, it broke my heart. She said, my grant didn't get funded and now I have no backup plan and I'm going up for tenure this year and I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't even know what to say to her. It was heavy. 
Yep. Yep. I just had an, an interview or interview. Well, that's funny. I just had a call with one of my friends from yeah grad school time and she's at a research center in uh, Texas at University of Texas and not good. She's like, you're, you're showing up back in my life for different reasons. I don't know what it is. But yeah, similar things. Grant funding tied to having, does she have a job, but also getting paid less than her counterparts as a as the only woman of color on the whole research team. Um, everyone else getting paid more. It's, yeah. And then it's like that kind of stuff. It's like, man, what are we holding on? Like, why are we holding on to this? <laughs> the way we do this, it doesn't make sense. Like the, the this whole system. Yeah. I wrote down uh, safety and protection of objective knowledge. So part of me, this, so uh, like when you, when you were talking about the journaling and the journals and stuff and that whole system, it's like, you know, they come around, uh, they, so like as fellow academics, people who like are the, you know, gatekeepers of knowledge and information or whatever. And then it's like, they're the, the cast of the judgment on what knowledge gets through and like what, it, who's doing it right and correctly is, is like a part of it. Right. And so then there it's, we're protecting and then we can hide behind. Well, it's all about the research and we're just don't your feelings that are tied to writing this paper. Like that's not what we're here for. We're here for the straight, you know, objective facts, right? That was always something I struggled with. Um, in this because as a sociologist, I'm talking about the meaning we associate with everything and like the cultural like messages we're sending. And I was just like, objective research like we can piece that down and kind of say that nah there's people that are imposing their own meanings on it right so um that was always something that always sat wrong with me too and i wonder like you being actually you know as um you know a social scientist too like in the education space specifically like we're constantly thinking about our students feelings and how other you know relationships as part of the learning process right so as academics, we have relationships with other academics. So like where where there's a breakdown here where we're like causing pain uh, that doesn't need to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. Right. I mean, we have these conversations all the time, even as a personnel committee, you know, when I, I when we review people's people's yeah. tenure papers yes. and their renewal papers. And I had this thing wash over me a couple weeks ago and I thought, who am I? to be looking at somebody else's work body of work yeah there yeah paging through their portfolio and critiquing it who am i i'm a peer mhm i i don't even i have no business in this it it really hit me funny about how i don't have an adjective yeah <laughs> Something about it doesn't feel right for me that mm-hmm. I leaf through somebody's materials and determine if they're worthy or yeah. not of moving forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something about it is um, old, it antiquated, is old feeling, yeah, outdated. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what the other way is. And, you know, I mean, but I, yeah, there, we're, we're definitely holding on to old ways of doing just because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, for you too, like I, you know, the, and again, I'm, you know, thank you for sharing all of this too, because, you know, this isn't, uh, these are some experiences I haven't had, per, you know, as, you know, choosing a community college and going that route, there's, um, you know, the pressures are very different. And, um, yeah, I mean, part of my choice was actively not enjoy, like I didn't like 
that part of the process, I guess. But not not to say that that's any anything on um, that. But I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I, it's like there are other ways that we can carry out this work, and like it's important that you know it's not like about ending the institution in any way, shape, or form. But it's like how can we do this no. better, right? How can we relieve? Right. Like, why are we causing pain, and and in what ways are we in in this? In what ways are we oppressing and further like oppressing like people that are going through this system? And like if we're if we're studying it, we know it's not working um, for everybody as we pretend it is, right? So like that, right? And. And it's so interesting to watch people leave through people's bodies of work and then judge it. Yeah. And critique it and say, well, I don't think where he or she presented, I don't think that is a good presentation. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, like know? the conference. Like it wasn't like, yeah. What? <laughs> wow. Or, you know, that journal, really? Mm. And I, I want to say, who, are you, who left you to be judge and jury? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I do. I don't know the answer either. I know there has to be a more humane, empowering way to um, assess and evaluate people. I do. Yes. And so my hope is um, through my own empowerment to be able to shift it, but also with the women I work Mm -hmm. with, Mm -hmm. because I mostly focus on mindset work. Mm -hmm. And it's it's empowering people to not put up with it anymore yeah. and to be able to say, no, we're not going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we're going to do it, but can we come together as intelligent human beings and compassionate human beings and find another yeah. way? Yeah. Cause we're smart. So that we can all are smart. thrive. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I mean, we're intelligent that this isn't rocket science. No, no. But we've made it or we've just continued to do more of the same. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's not working with contemporary society and mobile families. How and, quick things move. And yeah, I mean, there's so oh many parts gosh. of it that just doesn't you make know, sense. I have a yeah. student in my class now who's commuting two and a half hours just to get wow. a, a, a couple of classes so we can apply for a license. And, you know, people sure. just commuting and doing this crazy stuff while trying to raise a family. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And like you, um, I don't know if you knew this about me, but my husband's also a professor. Oh, I didn't know that. And we're in the same ah. department. That's really fun. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And I we bet. did our doctorate together. How'd that together. happen? <laughs> well, we did our doc work together. And um, I always say he followed me here. Sure. Um, that was Der- Derek I, copied me too. He wanted to be a community college professor after I was. So. Yeah. And so I, I, I wanted to get out of my doc program because I wasn't into I wasn't into hanging around as long as he was. So I did a quantitative dissertation and he hung out for an extra year to do a qualitative uh, yeah. one. Uh, yep. You know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, but it's been interesting since I've been on this journey to watch him. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him about this interview um, last night, and he wanted to know a little bit more about you and your husband and um, how you started out. And I knew you did stuff with helping people get courses online mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all that. And I said, and, she, and my husband teaches career counseling. 
Oh, cool. And his motto is, all skills are transferable. Yes, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly He can what start a business. There's I, all career coaches. And you know. I said yeah. to him, I said, that's what Lindsay's motto is. She says, all these academics have gifts that other industries absolutely need. And he's sitting there. And it was just so funny to watch him, Lindsay, because, well, I saw him, the light bulbs is, this, is the same thing that you talk about, that academics don't realize how valuable they are. No, because that's not what we're exchanging is our value. In that sense, we're exchanging no. it in like in these weird interchanges that don't even like bad energetic exchanges, you could argue, right? Like, I'm hoping that you like this piece of work that I spent forever on. And then you can just in an instant spend two minutes and tell me it's sh- it, right and then that's not an even <laughs> exchange at all but so like so we're like just like depleted I feel like because it's all it always is going one way and then you make it to the part where you get to be that decider I don't know I don't know if that's what the goal is for everybody but like anyways yeah yes <laughs> so true yeah yeah and, yeah and so that is so that's interesting that you bring that up because I don't know that I even thought of it in that way too like we don't realize how valuable what we've gone through is and it's and I think it's because we always knew we like agreed and we're excited and we're up for this you know we knew that um it wasn't about the money so it was like that was off the table and so because that was off the table like my happiness was coming from other places oh my gosh I'm changing students lives I have like this autonomy I have health care I have a salary like oh my gosh I'm so grateful and then and then it's like you know, and then you're like, oh, wait, I don't really get paid enough. Like, I don't, I'm kind of making it. I'm like begging for raises. <laughs> like, what is happening? And like, it's not just like, oh, it's, we, it's meritocratic pay and like teachers who are really good should get paid more. No, that's not going to work either. Like, but we do need to start talking about like, why do we have such an issue like recognizing that our skills are valuable? And I think it's just because it's not our in our head, I guess, maybe it's like, it wasn't ever out for the open market. It was, it was always contained in some way, like for the public. Yeah, right? I never like, thought it mattered to anybody else because right? th- I always saw the ivory tower as such a closed system. Sure. Yep. 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 That, you know, we were I know doing it for dev- each other. That's totally, you're right. Yeah. yeah I yeah. know how to create a course. I can do one stand up or I can do one online because mm-hmm. I do both, mm-hmm. but I never thought that anybody out there cared. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, this is coming up for me a lot, too. Um, yeah, it, it's the, hist- you know, we're in a very special era, right? So the fact that your daughter can come home and say, Mom, you can blog and you're like, I can tell my story online and people are going to read it. Or Lindsay, you can start a podcast and talk to other people who like are weird like you. <laughs> like It's like what? And it, and it costs nothing. And it takes, you know, it, there's a learning curve. But when it comes to the other stuff we've done, it's kind of like, oh, it's not that hard. Um, so like, yeah, like uh, there's something about this era, right? We're starting to realize like people are sharing more online, like vulnerability, like that whole thing is, I mean, it's all intersecting and creating this moment right now that is allowing academics to be like oh yeah like I don't have to keep it here because look at all these other I think the web of connection is showing up for us it's like lighting up and it's like 
you know, you're connected to somebody. So I'm curious. So like, what what were some of your first steps that you took to monetize this blog? So we haven't talked about that piece. So like, you started doing this, you know, you started, you kind of created this identity, and it did feel very separate from the institution. But what happened when you started to like make money from it? And when were you deciding to do that? Um, And did you have an example around that kind of or a mentor or a friend that made that connection for you of like, you can actually make money on this blog? Let's see. Let me go back and, and piece that together. So I blog. I was blogging for a few months, probably almost six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it had to do with the fact that okay, I'm in a counselor education field, and so school counselors get a get a license and go work in a school. Mm-hmm. Student affairs counselors work on a campus. But then there's the clinical mental health counselors. Uh-huh. They get a license and they're an LPC. Yep. And I did not go that route because I've never really um, believed in managed care mm. and that you had to have a license to help people. Uh. I mean, I get it, but I didn't want to keep up the CEUs and I never wanted to um, work in a clinic or deal with a lot of diagnosing. That just wasn't what I, what I wanted to do. And so the more I started blogging, I, I kept thinking, I wonder what I could do to help people more because uh, people were coming to yeah, me. Yeah, of course. With your background, with your credibility and all of that. Right. Sure, sure. And I was like, I, I can't counsel you. I don't have an LPC, but I don't really want to counsel you. And that's where I um, actually bumped into um, a woman that I had followed for a really long time because I have always loved doing vision boards. Ah. So this is kind of a little side note. And I would do vision boards with my students and I saw that she was a business coach. So I was reading her stuff and trying to figure out how to monetize this and put this together and was this possible. And I knew I never wanted a blog with all those ads yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, That That era has somewhat passed, but yes, that was a thing. And it, there's people that make a lot of money doing that. <laughs> I know. Because yeah. I always, I was felt much more connected to the no sidebar folks <laughs> um, and read their stuff sure. and the minimalists and all that. Mm-hmm. So it was... This business coach that I was following because of her vision board work shops, that that's how I met Kelly Ruda. Oh, at a live in-person workshop or online? She had a video on this woman's site about how she had been, um, because she was a licensed clinical social Mm worker Mm -hmm. and had a practice and rolled it into being a life coach. Yep, yep. So that was really the spark. And so I'm looking at this and I'm just thinking, can I do that? How can I do that? Mm -hmm. Right. And so that would have to be it, Lindsay. And so I, I was really starting to hit the wall on campus and I was blogging and wanted more. And I was remember, and Kelly knows this story. I was sitting in a hotel room in June of 2015 because my daughter had just graduated from UW Stout and we had flown to Scottsdale for her to interview for a position. I went with her and I'm sitting in a hotel room in Scottsdale, Arizona on a 
this, a clarity call with Kelly Ruda crying. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And that's the beginning of the end. I hired her um, when I got back. I invested in myself to change, switch up that language a little bit. And I worked with her for a year and a half mm. to try to figure out how to transition from being an academic for 18 years yeah. into an entrepreneur mm. because the, and it, that, uh, that it's a steep transition. Mm-hmm. It's not like I was a business major or a marketing <laughs> major and had some sense of that. I was coming, I am, I mean, I'm transitioning still, but I was in the College of Education in a counselor education department. I knew nothing about business. <laughs> Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So yeah. I had so much work to do. And I went through a couple of business programs with coaches, one that Kelly was actually a coach in it. Oh, okay. And so mm-hmm. we continued to work together through that that avenue plus um private one-on-one coaching and then her 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 group and I had to learn a whole new language. Yeah, that's really what it feels like. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And a whole new way of thinking you know, marketing funnels and how, and social media presence and how you get a reach and all of that. So I had, I had, I was a beginner. I was in elementary school once again. Yep. So that's been the journey. Yeah. What would you say would be some of your like struggles, your biggest struggles in, in, in like starting a business as an academic? What would you say were, would be some of the biggest obstacles? So it looks like you found some help and you, you know, surrounded yourself with people. What were some of the hardest things you had to do and are still having to do? (laughs) Um, I think the whole operation that this is a business, a bit, the business running a business. Yes. I feel you on that. Mm Because, Coach, oh my God, I can coach and I yeah. wanted to be a good coach and I'm still training to be a good coach. So I went and certified um, with the life coach school and I, I I just wanted to be a good coach and I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I am a good coach and I have so much to offer. But as far as um, business strategy, yeah, you know, the books, keeping the records, the budget, you know, making business decisions and being my own boss and saying, okay, this is the day you're going to do this and this is what you have to do. And and then hiring help and then um, supervising that help and making all of those business decisions and marketing mm-hmm. and selling. <laughs> I'd, I'd never done any of that. Right. Yeah. And I was like, well, can I just blog and people will come? <laughs> It works for a little while, maybe, but yeah, no, not quite. Yeah. So it was all the systems and strategies and then actually the the operations, the day-to-day operations of it. Yeah. So what do you think as an academic, you kind of brought into this and were like, actually, this is easy. So what do you find um, from your skills that are helping you as an entrepreneur? I'm not afraid of technology. Because we use so much of it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So technology, I was, even though there's some, oh God, I've learned language like, I'll never forget the day, MailChimp? What's a MailChimp? You know, that kind of stuff. I love it. Right? What's the Snapchat? I was like, I like always felt like I was like kind of close to my students and then, and then I'm in business and I'm like, man, the newest thing comes so much faster. (laughs) 
it's like a new app every day. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that, you know? Yeah. Um, so learning that language, but I think I'll tell you the ability to write content is just a no brainer for That's me. Easy. Yeah. So much so that my coaches will have to say to me, um, and I have lots of coaches because I believe in it to be a good coach. You need a coach. They'll say, Kelly, stop with the content. <laughs> you have enough content. Yeah. Because my comfort zone is sitting here banging out content. I can do it all day long and I absolutely love doing it. Mm. So I had to shift to being more um, of the seller and the marketer. Yeah. Yeah. And you can get to a certain level and have someone selling for you. That's a thing. But yeah, I, you know, I think that's been a challenge too. I would, I would echo you know, that back and being like that, you know, this is something I learned in business that I think doesn't quite translate in academia is this, um, like stay in your zone of genius stuff, right? <laughs> like I knew what I was good at as a teacher and what came easily, but, um, in business there's like, you're doing so many of the day to day things like you're bringing up, especially when you're first starting. And then, you know, it takes some time. And if you're trying to supplement it or take over another income, like, I mean, all of this is really, um, you know, those decisions as to when you leave, but like, realizing that, okay, Lindsay's zone of genius is, you know, I'm realizing that I'm really good at connecting with people and having these like one-on-one conversations and going to events and networking. And so I was like, okay, how do I leverage that? And then what am I not good at that I need support around? And like, as a teacher, you're not outsourcing anything, right? Like you're not allowed to A, but B, you're just not, you're just like trying to do it. Um, and so the idea that you could not do something Something that you don't enjoy doing to stay right. in your zone is it has right. been something that was kind of a little bit of a mind shift for me too. But but if you're hiring all those people, you have to manage them. So that's a whole other story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And knowing what I need help with, mm-hmm. I, that's been oh, you know that's an interesting. I have to yeah yeah like thinking again. You you nailed it. I do it all, mm-hmm. and then my coach is saying, "Don't you Don't, think yeah. you should outsource that? Yeah. I mean, why are you sitting there staring at Unsplash, picking out pictures, which that's- is fun to do? <laughs> I, know that, I like that website. It's very pretty. <laughs> it's yeah. wonderful. It's gorgeous. But yeah. you know, learning learning is that a good use of my mm-hmm. time? Mm-hmm. Like, if I charge this amount for a coaching package and I break that down, is me standing, you know, flipping through images a good use of my time? Yep. So that's been, you know, learning what to outsource and what to do and how to actually be, you know, my own CEO. Yeah. And then like learning the whole money thing behind the scenes. Uh Like uh, I did my best to get through profit first Mm -hmm. and learn about, you know, how to set up all the money and how you invest here and invest there and LLCs and C-Corps and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, Oh, it was so much easier when it just came in my account and it told me (laughs) piece of paper game. These were the deposits. This is where it all went. Cool. I trust you. Like, what do you mean? I (laughs) have to have a 1099 sent by January 31st. What? It's a lot. Oh my gosh. Taxes is a whole other freaking conversation. And like, and I, and I think when people are more in the 
business side versus like liberal arts and sciences and education and where they're not around that or maybe they don't have a partner that's involved in a business and where they don't see that. It's been a steep, steep learning curve. Yeah, I feel you. That's so funny. And I think sometimes this is that this is totally an assumption that because academics come from such a right or wrong, I know it all kind of perspective. Yeah, yeah. That that can be a real kick in the ego Uh to be able to shift into beginner's mind and going, oh, I don't know everything. There's no theory for this. (laughs) Well, there probably is, but I don't have it in front of me right right now. (laughs) There's totally a theory for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Right. Right. I mean, it totally is tying together a lot of what we talked about, right? Like, that's what I think it's so, yes. And you're naming it. Leave it to my psychologist, right? I've been interviewing a lot of psychologists. You guys are sneaky. And I think of the social sciences, um, you guys are more, you maybe have more examples of it because people start their own practices and they start businesses around psychology where mm-hmm. like a sociologist obviously right. isn't. Um, so yeah, we can start parsing away like history and all these other subjects where it's like, oh, starting a business around that doesn't quite make sense. So we're even more far removed, but you're in education. So I think that is a different angle. But anyways, bringing that up, the ego thing, I think in academia, again, is this idea that it's like every person for themselves. And like, you know, it's our knowledge that is, you know, in the battlefield or whatever. And like, we're just here as, um, you know, we're not asking for help. We're not, um, because that would show weakness. And like, it is about that positioning. There's something about that. That's like, a positioning in this space, the prestige, I guess, too. So I think about you, you talking to colleagues and being like, I blog and like, you're a blogger or wait, you write textbooks. Those are like very, <laughs> very different on the scale of prestige. Right. So anyways, right. Yeah, right. Right. You're so yeah. right. Because it's a huge ego thing, because blogging is, you know, what do you cite your sources? Nope. <laughs> Which people could use some help with. Let's talk about that. But yes, totally. Uh, no, uh, Only for no. SEO and the backtracking. That's why they cite. Yeah. Right. Right. But also, I had to learn to fail. Mm, there you go. That has come up before. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about that. <laughs> I had to learn to fail forward because failing is new lesson, but to fail in academia was so the friggin' death. scary yeah. the death. and anxiety yeah. provoking because to not get published, to not get chosen to present, to not make tenure. I mean, to me, it just, it's the big S word. It's shame. It is a hundred percent. Yeah. To me, it's such a shaming environment. And so then to step in and transition into being an entrepreneur and running my own business, I've had to rework my mindset around making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they lo- like entrepreneurs love it. They're like, oh, I failed or whatever. I, I launched a course and no one bought it. And I spent hours like it would be like, an, yeah, you running around telling everyone on campus that you didn't get a journal article picked, right? Like you would never say that. No. <laughs> Never. And I even see that in my department now. I mean, I, I don't even know people submit. Right. Because no one wants to talk. Yep. People don't even talk about submitting. Mm-hmm. 
And it's understandable. But I know that that's been my experience. So much shame for me in my position in academia. And I see that with, um, with other women too, so much shame. And so I had to really work on that because you have to make mistakes as an entrepreneur you have and a business to, yeah. person. Yeah. It moves so quickly. There's something about it that just moves so much quicker too than the institution. Right. So the making the mistake is like, okay, I'm on, what do I do different next time? And you are in charge right. of when it happens next. In a classroom, you know, whatever, a, a course doesn't go over so well. It's like to get it off the books is, is, you know, I mean, there's so many things that like it just does not translate. Um, it moves so much slower. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you look at your teaching evals mm-hmm. and, you know, and then you're judged according to those. And uh, yeah. And I remember my early um, I, it doesn't come up that much anymore because I just it doesn't bother me to, to make a mistake. I know I need to make a mistake to learn. And isn't that funny? We teach students that they have to make a mistake to learn, but faculty can't make a mistake. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, because it's loss of authority. It's loss of yeah status, prestige, other things we could think of. Yeah, that's interesting. Ooh. Yeah, I just thought of that too because I thought, gosh, we train counselors and we're always telling them to risk, experiment, use take that risk, for your you know. clients. <laughs> that's a good. Know, that's a good line. Right? Yeah, that's but really helpful. But then I think, well, I don't feel that way though. As the faculty, mm. I don't feel like I can make a mistake. Yeah, Oof, I like that. So those have been some of the transition bumps and bruises along the way <laughs> but it's fun to almost <laughs> yeah unravel and yeah. unlearn what I had learned in the academic system mm-hmm. so I would love to hear about the vision of your business you talked about vision boarding where are you what do you what do you what do you see for for your future in that space and I think you know a lot of people listening might could you know could use your help too potentially so tell us a little bit about where you're going with this my goal is to create a space for um, academic moms where they can come Mm -hmm. and work for 90 days and be a part of a membership Uh, where they get ongoing support. Um, This is just my vision. Mm -hmm. Group coaching, Mm -hmm. individual coaching, but they have a community um, that's different from, I've seen the, there's a big platform out there I think it's faculty success program, but it's super big and super, I don't know. And there's always a waiting list. Who runs it? Do you know who runs it? Oh, I cannot spout it off. No worries. And I might, you know, Derek can look it up on the show notes too. We could find it and link to it if you want, but yeah, it's a, it's a big program. Mm -hmm. I can see the website, but I've lo- I've lost the um, the institution, and they always have a waiting list. It seems super successful, but it seems super big and intimidating. So you want like a more warm, inviting, like intimate, or at I least would. for now, yeah, cool. I would something where women can come and get mindset coaching, have support around what they're trying to do, not only on campus but at home, mm. because yeah. my experience is it bleeds campus over. And home yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No. Yeah. There's no talk about what women faculty do at home mm-hmm. or men. Yeah. There's no connection between the academic environment and the home environment. It seems very compartmentalized. And I would like to shift that and be able to help them on both fronts. Yeah. 
And then it would there help them, you know, it, like whichever one they're 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 feeling depleted in, it's going to lift even the other one once that one is being worked right. on. Whichever one, the sphere, I guess, right. if we want to call it that, right? Yeah. And so I don't. I mean, I've seen um, coaches for academics that help them with writing, and they mm-hmm. help them with that kind of um, hands-on stuff that they yep. need to do. But I don't Needed believe too. that's what they where they need help. No. Yeah. These are bright, brilliant, amazing women. They can do their writing, mm-hmm. but they need to know that they can do their writing and have support. And so I'm much more focused on the, the mindset. mindset of mm-hmm. it. Like what's the root of why you're not doing the writing is not really that you right. don't need. Yeah, definitely. I agree. That's great. Right. Yeah. And I, I even right. see faculty success program. It feels like an institution could have made it like, you know what I mean? And so I, I, you know, I think there is probably a space. This is just evidence that people need this support, right? So it's successful. And you can look at this and be like, yeah, people are signing up for this. Okay, cool. Who's not being served in the way that they really need to be served. Right. Yeah. And that's the, that's the women mm-hmm. I want are the people that aren't being served yeah. that are falling through the cracks that are um, because the faculty success program, I don't think has anything to do with um, academic women that struggle emotionally with generalized anxiety. No, probably not. They're not going to go there. Mm -hmm. They're not going to reach out for that. They're going to suck it up and keep trudging along, feeling stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, worried and anxious. And I've just had enough of that. There you go. So I want to be that support, that resource, and create a movement around that. Oh, I love it, Kelly. Well, I can't wait to like watch you do that. <laughs> I'm going to have my popcorn <laughs> in the back. Um, I think, I mean, it's so needed. And I, I love, I, I love, you know, talking to, to academics who are helping in this space, as we point out the many issues, <laughs> uh, that the space has. Um, and you know, that's what entrepreneurs do. They solve problems, right? And, this is something we can take care of and have research, you know, behind it and know that we're making that change. And I think that that's huge. Awesome. Well, I have enjoyed this more than, you know, (laughs) Um, and I feel like I just, we were just having coffee, hanging out in the faculty lounge, chatting. (laughs) Um, And this felt really awesome, Kelly. So I'm so glad we finally got to connect and yeah, me too. This was great. I didn't, we went in some directions I didn't I, anticipate. Me either. I, I, <laughs> I kind of love it. Like I'm getting more comfortable with this and I, and I, and then I'm starting to think too, like, you know, there's a lot of shared knowledge and experience that I have with some of my guests. So like, um, you know, tapping into the commentary on like what's going on, I think is also going to be interesting for the academics that are still in the institution, but also those who have left are going to be like, yeah, like these are some of the reasons why I left. So I feel like we're, we're going to the deep places that I think need to be talked about it because it is the context for why, you know, whatever our, our, our thoughts around starting a business and then doing it and taking the plunge. And while it, you know, the guilt for make for recognizing that it feels pretty good, <laughs> all that stuff that's tied with it, um, you know, and so talking about what's, what, what's going on. I mean, I, I'm enjoying it. So I just wanted to say thank you. And I appreciate you being open and sharing. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It was such an yeah. honor to do this with you and get to know you more yeah. also. 
was just really, really super fun. Well, thanks, Kelly. So um, we'll see you around. Um, We're going to drop links to um, your website and all that stuff. So if anyone wants to come and find you, where's kind of where are you hanging out right now online? Um, I'm... I kind of, I probably my home base, it would be Facebook. Yeah. That's probably the most popular place to find me. But I also do a little bit on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, you can always get me through email. Yeah, there you go. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find, actually. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's really rad. I'm actually, I've just created my Facebook group for Academics Mean Business, which I'm going to start promoting. So maybe oh, they can you find did? you there. Yeah. So I hope I get in there. Yeah, I might let you in. There's going to be a submission <laughs> process. You're going to have to send me a piece of writing. Um, no. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm just kind of wanting to follow up with people. And, and now that we're talking about this kind of stuff, right, I bet yeah. there's going to be people that wish they were here with us and want to like scream something, right? Um, you know, so this is this is the the space I'm, I'm creating so for it. Cool. So cool. So cool. Yeah. You are you are a VIP member as a as a guest on the show. So awesome. Well, thank you so much Kelly. It was it was a really great time. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye.